This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And Ben, we're nearing the end of uh, the strangest presidential election race of, of our lives, maybe of anyone's life. And of all the things that will be going through people's minds on election day, I've been thinking about, as New Yorkers and people who care about the city, what are the results that we'll be watching, especially in the presidential race? What will it mean for issues that matter to New York? You know, we, this discussion, this election has been described in these broad terms of the future of democracy um, and you know, our, our very identity as a republic. When you get down to nitty-gritty policy stuff, what should New Yorkers be looking at and be mindful of? I think there's obviously a lot of answers to that, and, I, and I'm interested in your take. And I think, you know, we talked about this, you and I and others, recently on a little TV thing we did. And I think this is still the case that I don't know that we really know what a President Trump would look like. Like, I really don't know what federal policy in a Trump administration would have as its core principles. I think we know some of the things he might try to do on renegotiating trade agreements and immigration reform and things like that. But... You know, in terms of sort of federal funding for housing policy or the minimum wage, I don't really know what a Trump administration would look like. So I think with him, there's a lot of who knows. Which is interesting because he has mentioned, and he's turned it into kind of an applause line, the inner cities, which is described as sort of a, a walking hell on earth, uh, more than other candidates typically have at this stage in a presidential campaign. He said very little about what he would actually do, but he's actually mentioned cities. I don't know if New York has loved in with that, but as one of his talking points against, uh, against the Secretary of State. Right, and he's talked about crime being up in cities, and that's true in some cities, but not really New York City. So, yeah, that, that'll be interesting, um, or would be interesting. But, of course, we also know that the polls are looking like he's very unlikely to win at, the, at this juncture as we get very close to Election Day. So, um, you know, I think with whether it's Clinton or Trump, but especially with Clinton, you know, this relationship between New York City and the federal government is not just dictated, of course, by who's president. So, of course, we're watching what happens on Election Day with the House and the Senate. It's unlikely both are in Republican control now. It's unlikely they both flip to Democrats. Uh, the Senate looks more likely than the House. Um, so I think we're going to probably still see a lot of gridlock in Washington and if anything's going to get done, and this has been a hallmark of Hillary Clinton's career, so we'll see if she could do it as president, but if anything's going to get done, it's going to have to be a lot of compromise legislation. And maybe after the Trump phenomenon and other things in the House and the shakeup in leadership there, maybe things settle into a place where the federal government actually functions, but I don't know. One of the kind of key parts of Hillary Clinton's platform is this $275 billion spending plan over, I think, five years for infrastructure. And whenever the issue of urban policy is raised, that's what they truck out as kind of their, their flagship program. At a Conference of Mayors event a couple weeks ago, Ed Randell, who's kind of her chief surrogate to the cities, said that that is still her top priority, but thought it would be a pretty hard sell for the first 100 days, that, that moving that kind of a program through the Congress, assuming it remained in Republican control, would be, would be difficult, but she might be able to do some things around releasing some, some smaller bonds to cities and kind of kind of more blocking and tackling stuff. Uh, the interesting thing I've been thinking of, if you think back to the first Clinton presidency, her husband, in the early days of that, he had a Democratic majority, I believe in both houses, and still encountered um, resistance, and in fact often encountered a, a strange alliance between uh, the far left and the far right around trade, which is something that you know sort of Trump and some Sanders supporters have talked about this year. So I, I wonder if 
the dynamics of the the interplay between the president and Congress will be affected by the size of Hillary's mandate. If she if she wins big, does that matter than if she wins small? I don't know. I mean, I think that's a really hard question. I think we felt like there was a sweeping, you know, the, the Barack Obama was swept into office in, in 2008 and that that was such a game changer for sort of this, you know, there was this vision for moving the country ahead and hope and change, you know, after the George W. Bush years, which has turned into, you know, very problematic in the deficit and and in international affairs and, and war. Um, and then that quickly became, you know, very problematic as we, as the Democrats, you know, and we saw, you know, them lose the Senate majority with the, you know, Scott Brown win in Massachusetts and, and different things derail, you know, whatever mandate we think people come in with. So I don't, I don't know that the margin really matters. I think that what's going to matter the most is the internal Republican politics of, is it all obstruction? Are we, you know, are we coming into this new government saying Hillary Clinton has to be a one-term president like they did when Barack Obama came into office? Then you just, again, it might just be gridlock for the most part. Mm -hmm. I do think you hit on a really good point, though, when it comes to things like infrastructure spending. This is this is the type of thing that senators and House reps and local reps, they everybody wants money from the federal government for their local roads and bridges and tunnels and things. So I think... You've even heard Trump talk about infrastructure spending, so maybe that's a glimmer of, of hope there. Yeah, and she's very smart about finding those kind of points of common ground. She was praised as a senator for that. And one of the things we've talked about here um, on our podcast is Section 8, which is a program that rural areas, which tend to be represented by Republicans, and urban areas both sort of have a stake in. Um, and you know, so there are, there are portions of the policy platform like that where there might be some, some room for that kind of growth. The question that always gets asked is the fact that she is a New Yorker now, um, her headquarters is in New York, she represented uh, the city for, for eight years. Um, when Barack Obama was elected, there was this talk about the center of gravity shifting to Chicago, Chicago politicians. I don't know if that did that much for that center of city of Chicago, but I wonder if Hillary being a New York person um, means that you know her policies will reflect some greater loyalty to, to all cities, or at least to the biggest city of them all. Yeah, at a recent press conference, Mayor de Blasio was actually asked, you know, as all these WikiLeaks emails come out that show Clinton aides kind of frustrated with him for withholding his endorsement, he was asked, you know, are you worried, given now that we've seen these frustrations with you that they had, are you worried that even a President Clinton will not be that favorable to New York City? And he laughed it off and he said, no, I think Hillary Clinton loves New York City and loves New York State and it's not about me and my endorsement and that she she is going to you know look upon New York very favorably so I think you know there'll be certainly a warm place uh, in a president you know Hillary Clinton's administration for New York I don't know that that really means much different than most presidents would pay attention to New York because it's such a center of gravity for commerce and Wall Street and uh, tourism and you know you name it it's funny that de Blasio is obviously not up for election or re-election this year, but his name came up in the WikiLeaks and the presidential race, and his image has been used in some of the television advertising by Republicans trying to hang on to the, the state Senate. Um, that body is obviously very close. There is the chance that it will change hands. I don't know what the latest polling suggests about that. The bigger question might be, the body becomes controlled by Democrats, so what for New York City? Does that really fundamentally change the politics and the, any of the issues that 
City, uh, City Hall has been going to Albany for and, and coming back empty-handed? I think that if the New York State Senate uh, becomes democratically controlled, and that would mean mainline Democrats in a coalition agreement with the Independent Democratic Conference, which wouldn't necessarily be that bad for New York City because some of the IDC members, several are New York or New York City members. Um, I think you will see some really important things to New York City residents, to Mayor de Blasio and the city council's sort of state legislative agenda. I think you will see some more things really move. Um, Governor Cuomo has even outlined those things as reasons that he is, uh, to Democrats, finally getting behind state Senate candidates. For example, raising the age of criminal responsibility from 16 to 18. New York is only one of two states where it's still 16 that people are tried as adults. Um, The DREAM Act for uh, state tuition aid to the children of undocumented immigrants. You know, there's Mm -hmm. some things, certainly. when it comes to funding levels and it comes to the some of the games or the or the conflicts that the governor wants to have with the mayor that we saw last budget season, that stuff could flare up again. But if Democrats are more powerful in the state legislature, you know, they might be even stronger pushing back against the governor for trying to reduce funding to the city for certain things. I wonder what do we think about how uh, you know the, the obviously de Blasio will be up for re-election next year in 2017. Um, and his name has come up a couple times in the campaign. Um, obviously, political reporters come November 9th will shift instantly to talking about that. Will the results on November 8th, w- in terms of the city, weigh on his viability next year? I mean, you know, some candidates uh, on the Upper East Side, for instance, are running explicitly against Bill de Blasio. He's in the ads for the Senate Republicans. Is it a, a kind of a, a validation or a, a testimonial on his leadership what the results say I don't think so I mean I think it's I think it's fairly far removed um, what the presidential vote looks like in New York City and what some of the local votes look like I think there are pockets of the city where he's unpopular and those pockets of the city in some cases will still vote for democratic representation I I don't you know, I don't think in New York City the Demo- uh, the Democrats are going to lose any seats in the Assembly or the State Senate. I do find it fascinating as just sort of one interesting um, data point here. We did a story on this is that there's a Republican state senator in Brooklyn and he has no Democratic opponent. And so that sort of shows you some of the there's like there's always local considerations at play. Right. Senator Marty Golden in Brooklyn just has you know, his has his uh, foot on the pulse, his finger on the pulse, and, and doesn't have a Democratic opponent. And he's worked with de Blasio, he's worked with Cuomo on some stuff, and, uh, you know, has built a base of power over there. So I don't think this applies too much to de Blasio, although I do think he has a lot of sort of evaluating to do ahead of his reelection. But I, I don't, I mean, do you, do you think differently? No, I agree with that. And I think, you know, I- the 2016 election will be about 2016, and come election day, I'll be looking at two sort of big stories. One is just how the election system performs. Presidential years traditionally draw out the most people. In past elections here, the Board of Elections has struggled with some technology, voter rolls, things like that. How will that play out? And just the the enthusiasm that is evident or not evident at the polls. You know, I recall in 2008 and 2012, lines around the block, even though the outcome in New York State was in no way in doubt in terms of the presidential race. The question, I think, all year has been, um, you know, will people vote um, out of hate for Trump or enthusiasm for Hillary or enthusiasm for Trump, or will they stay home? And I think that's, you know, that's a part of the story that's obviously not going to show up directly in the 
percentages of who wins or loses, but probably the biggest story for you know posterity coming out of the 2016 race. Yeah, I think I agree. I'm very interested to see what turnout looks like and what some exit polling looks like, let's say, in terms of what motivated people to vote, issues, personalities, etc. Um, and the BOE administration, certainly. I mean, the, there's just been all sorts of problems, and, and so we'll see on that. I think it's going to be fascinating on election night that New York City is sort of the you know, the center of the world, both both Clinton and Trump are going to be having election night events in Manhattan. You know, I mean, New York City is going to have eyes on it. If the Democrats take control of the Senate, it looks like Charles Schumer will be the Senate majority leader. So, you know, going back to your earlier question, I think, you know, New York City and New York State have a lot at stake here and stand to potentially gain quite a bit. So last point, um, whenever I'm faced with a down ballot race I know nothing about, I either don't vote or write in a friend of mine that I think is competent and generally not a criminal. So I'll be voting for you for one of the alternates to the delegate judicial convention, and I hope you would extend the same privilege. I appreciate it. I'll think about it. I'll look look at your platform a bit. All right. We can talk about that more later.